Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I'm Gloria. During this podcast, we're going to cover a variety of topics that are impacting our everyday lives. We'll look at four things for each topic. One, the absolute empirical truth. That's all about the facts and data. Then we'll look at the personal experiential truth. And that's about how those facts and others do and don't show up in people's lives and their experience of them. Next, the consequential, impactful truth. The difference this makes in people's lives. And finally, you'll hear about resources and solutions you can use to empower yourself and others. Welcome back to the Delicious Truth Podcast. In this episode, I will be talking with Buck Davis. And the topic today is being and staying positively resilient. Let's jump right in. I am so excited on this episode to be speaking with my friend and colleague, Buck Davis. Now, let me tell y'all a little bit about Mr. Buck Davis. He has multiple master's degrees and he's a multiple master of a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just saying. (laughs) He's been in speaking and consulting business for 21 years. And I want y'all to know that business is clamor for this man wanting him to come to talk about what we're going to be talking about today. He's worked with everyone from Starbucks, Facebook, mm mm-hmm. General Mills, Ball Aerospace, whole bunch of folks, whole bunch of companies nationally and internationally. You may have seen him on CNN talking about race in America. Mm -hmm. You may even have seen him pitching a couple of products on QVC, and I bought some just because he was doing it, okay? He also creates really wonderful, inspirational videos. Go on YouTube, check him out. Oh my goodness, today we're going to be talking about being and staying positively resilient. Buck, I am delighted about this delicious conversation. Come on, baby. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. Well, and I'm glad to be a part of the delicious conversation. And you have just given me the boost of positivity that I need to get going today. So thank you for having me on your show. (laughs) Thank you. Let's jump right in it. What is it? How did this whole conversation come about in your mind and that you're having with other people about resilience? The conversation started about two and a half years ago. I had two clients call me in the same week. And the first one called and said, Buck, there is so much political noise in our country that what is happening outside the walls of this corporation is creeping inside the walls of these corporation and people are rattled. It's like their feet are four feet off the ground. Can you please come and talk to us? Give us something that's going to help people get their feet back on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will try. The very next day, another client called and said, we've been through a merger and we're going through an acquisition. Policies have changed. People have changed. People don't know who to go to for what. And they're really coming undone. Can you give us, offer us anything that's going to help them be more focused So I had been, as you know, I had been researching happiness for about 10 years, and I knew that happiness positivity was tied to resilience, but I didn't know how strongly they were connected until I agreed to do this research. I like science. Well, I was not an expert on resilience when they contacted me, but I'm a great researcher. So I knew that I could pull together information to help offer them something that they could offer to their employees. 
So before we go deeper and you start giving us some of that, your, your findings about the science of it, how would you define resilience? Let's, let's everybody get on the same page about what you're talking about. Yeah. Resilience is the ability to bounce back after a setback, push through challenges and cope with adversity is yeah. being able to do that and come through on the other side with some level of optimism. I heard you say three things. Would you state those again? Resilience is what? Is the ability to bounce back after a setback, push through challenges, and cope with adversity. So if you want to, let's put some real world visuals around each one of those buckets, Glow. Okay. So a setback, what would you consider a setback to be in a person's life? Well, there are the extreme acute things like you've lost something. Yes. Something like a job or someone who's in your life, an opportunity, something like that. You've lost respect, maybe, or lost. Absolutely. Yes. Um, And so that's that's what I would consider. Yes. Adversity. Um, Maybe you have a child who's being bullied at school. Maybe you have a loved one who has a mental disability. Uh, challenges. And I like to include everyday annoyances in this bucket. Traffic. <laughs> hey, no. hey, I got stood up on a date about three months ago. No text, no phone call, nothing. Better be dead, Glow. Better be dead. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> Resilience is the ability to manage any of these stressors that come up in our life. Adversity, challenges, pushbacks, any sort of setback, the ability to manage through it and come on, come through on the other side with some level of optimism, positivity is what I call being positively resilient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I hear it's a two part thing. It's not just that you manage it. So it's, you know, did you recognize it? Did, how did you go through it? But then what's the outcome? Not just that it gets done. Right. What is your mind, your heart, your soul, your spirit like? As you're going through and as you come out on the other side. Absolutely. Because you, as you know, life is filled with ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our life is not, is, we, there are always challenges in life. There's always adversity. And if you think that you shouldn't be having any sort of problems or issues, then you need to readjust your thinking because problems are intertwined with the human experience. Hello, if you live in. Exactly. Exactly. So what did the science reveal to you? Yeah. Well, let me tell you how I came, how I got to science. So my default is research. Mm -hmm. So I like evidence-based study. So I hired a psychologist out in California who was at the time, the University of California at Northside, or is it Riverside? Forgive me. University of California at Riverside. Anyway, forgive me. I may not be able to, I may not be crediting the right university. Anyway, I hired a psychologist who specialized in positive research and I asked her to review as much research as she could get her hands on to find out what has been studied and proven to help people recover. And then I did my own research. I interviewed people who I knew had had setbacks and came through on the other side uh, in a better place. And then I sat down and thought about how I move through the world because I have setbacks just like everybody else. I tend not to get stuck though. I tend not to get stuck though. That's my experience of you. That's my experience of you. You use that as now it, it's not to say that you don't experience 
I, I've known you long enough to know that you, like anyone else, can experience grief or disappointment or stuff like that. But what I know of you is that you use that as a springboard to bring yes. you out of that into a, a different and a higher place. Yes. And I work at it. And I work at it. it so I work. took all of that information and I mapped it and I found three distinct themes that came up. Okay. And here's quickly the, the four things that came up. The first one is the research calls it mindfulness. I call it being fully present when the deal goes down. The second thing that came up was self-compassion. The research called it self-compassion. I call it managing your inner critic, having an inner coach. Relationships, social support was the third one. And then the fourth one was prioritizing positivity. I call it looking for the good. So there's a data, there's a research there's a body of research that says when you make the experience of positive emotions a priority for you, it will have a bunch of positive results. So those were the four themes that came out in the work that I pulled together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I am usually linear in my thinking many times, but I see this really is so interdependent, these things. Absolutely. Um, you know, I can't. Uh, prioritize positively positivity if I'm not being mindful and if and I might not have uh, sustainment with that if I'm not being looking at myself with self-compassion and then I need other people uh, relationships including a relationship with myself yeah in order yeah. to keep that going so I see that as very circular and interdependent I love that thank you for that tip well, what I love about what you just said, you summarized one of the studies that Barbara Fredrickson did when she looked at people who made their experience of positivity a priority. Mm. Negative, emo- negative events deplete our positivity. So when the negative events deplete our positive emotions... When the bad stuff happens, we have to draw from a reservoir of positive emotions to help support us in those times of needs. Mm-hmm. Well, she found that if we were deliberate about moving through the world, and my words, looking for the good, that you would have some shock absorbers when the hard stuff hit. And some of the results that she found in people who were moving through the world, looking for the good, severing the positive, they had more mindfulness. They had more resilience. They had greater levels of self-compassion. Isn't that interesting? So it is circular. So it's almost like prioritizing your positivity does everything for building your resilience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's really significant. I see it three-dimensional. The visual that I'm a Trekkie, I'm a Star Trek fan. Mm -hmm. And I remember they're playing chess in three different levels. Not one, a flat board, but three different levels at once. Um, And so I see this not as a flat circle, but one where there is so much movement and delicious under uh, undulation within that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, this is how I live my life as well. Yeah. I have savoring the good, looking for uh, the good. Yes. And having a lot of compassion and enjoying what I I, look, I'm messing up right here, but I know this is going to be delicious on the other side. Let me see what I can learn from this. Oh, yeah. 
This is a hot mess right here, Gloria. Yes. What can you learn yes. from this and keep it moving? Yes. Yes. So what you have done naturally, other people have to form habits around it. Okay. Talk more about that. What I'm hearing you say is that's how I live my life. Yes. So I'm curious, did you come up with this approach or do you think it was just part of who you are? Both. Um, Uh When I came to the planet, I was privileged to be born into a family that where positivity, we didn't call it that. Yeah. Where positivity is just in our DNA. Yeah. You know, and so I came into that environment. I had to figure out along the way, how yeah. do I do this? How do I yeah. stay in touch with that at yeah. this phase of my life? Uh, when I'm getting married, when I'm having children, when I'm getting a divorce, how do you know, when I start a job, when I get a new position, when in every situation, I've asked myself that question. Yes. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Not everybody's program that way. There is a research study done in Harvard where they had students play the game Tetris. Do you know the game Tetris? Those little square blocks that you put them together and you get points. I know for putting them together. Explain it to people who have not a clue. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a game that you play. I'm assuming you can play it online. It's mm-hmm. a video game, mm-hmm. and you put blocks together and you achieve points by putting the blocks together. Harvard paid students to play the game Tetris for multiple days in a row for multiple hours in a day. And once they finished playing the game, they could not get these Tetris patterns out of their head. They would look at a skyline and they would see a Tetris pattern. They -hmm. would look at a carpet and they would see a Tetris pattern. Well, that's a very real thing called a cognitive after image. When our brain has been repeatedly exposed to a pattern, we continue to see the pattern. I've experienced this when I've played paintball. I'd be driving home and I'm dodging fake bullets on the way home. And it it can also happen in your job. So if you are a accountant looking for mistakes on a tax tax return all day long, it's very easy to take that pattern into your family life and only see the C's and D's, the mistakes in your kids' reports. Mm-hmm. So whenever we form a habit, then we continue that habit in our personal and professional lives. Mm-hmm. And so we're not all programmed to look for the positive. You know, I can take my dad, who's a very positive person, into the most beautiful Georgia mansion, and he would say, that is great craftsmanship. I could take my mom to the same mansion. My mom would say, I need new carpet. (laughs) So what they found in some of these research studies that if you would just write three things down good that happened today, over time, it begins to retrain your brain to look for the good and to acquire those positive emotions that we so need to build on our resilience. You following me? I got you. I got mm-hmm. you. So let's let's talk about in today what's going on. And we are experiencing in our nation and the world this coronavirus, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Resilience and positivity is important all the time. Mm-hmm. But why would you say it's even more important? And what are the challenges that human beings are experiencing 
being resilient, even mm-hmm. to just be resilient. Mm-hmm. What would, mm-hmm. what would you say? Well, I'll first start with why it's so important. There's a, a researcher that I love named Barbara Fredrickson who has found that when people exhibit traits of resilience, that's what uh, the research calls it. When people exhibit traits of resilience, they first and foremost have higher degrees of life satisfaction. So I should just stop right there, you know, because because when you think about that statement, higher degrees of life satisfaction, I don't know about you, but from my first breath to my last breath, this space in between, I want to have a really good time. Mm-hmm. So if I can learn anything that's going to increase a level of satisfaction during that space, I need to know what it's about. They also found in these re- resilient studies that when people exhibit traits of resilience, they recovered quicker from negative events, probably because they don't feel like victims. They, in hospital studies, people who exhibit traits of resilience handle chronic pain better. People who exhibit traits of resilience have higher self-esteem. They have more positive beliefs about the world, and they have better ways of cope. to cope. For me, that's enough right there as to why we all need to be working on how can we be more resilient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the case for me right there. Remind it, me of your is. second question, Glow. It is. So I'm going to put it to you like this, though. See, all that is well and good, Buck. Yeah. I can agree with what you just said. But you know what? I have just been diagnosed that I have this virus. Yeah. What do I need to do now? Because my mind is on survival. Mm-hmm. Sure it right is. Now. Yeah. yeah. Your, your mind is probably on a lot of things. And one of the things that we tend to do, it's very natural to do, is to sit there and create a narrative about whatever negative situation we're going through. Why is this happening to me? Mm-hmm. What is going to happen if I get really sick? What is going to happen to my family? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to our community? And we mm-hmm. sit there and we spin and we spin and we spin. Research calls it rumination, where we just get stuck in, uh, in the narrative in our own head. You can do this with a diagnosis. You can do this with traffic. You can do this with a tree trimmer who cut the wrong limb off. And you sit there and look at the tree and you go, why did that happen? That's so stupid. Why did he choose that one? That is ridiculous. So we just spin and we spin and we spin. And it's a very natural tendency where we resist and we judge and we replay over and over and over. You used an example of a diagnosis of COVID-19. I have gotten into an argument with a family member and I would wake up in the morning having fictional conversations in my head. Well, if he says this, I'll say this. And if he said this, I'll say that. And I'm like, all right, it's over and done, but I'm already, I'm stirring it up. So that is probably one of the hardest struggles that people go through is just how do you stop the voice in your head? How do you not ruminate over this over and over and over? Because you're piling on more negativity on top of an already negative situation. I love you right now for saying that. First of all, thank you that I'm saying I'm not the only one because sometimes we think we're the only ones who do this stuff. Yeah. And also made me think of uh, singer, rest his soul, Lou Rawls, who made this song called If I Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. 
Yes. And the ruminations that we go on in our mind, if I had done this, I should have won that, I could have done that. And how much energy, not, not his song now, but I thought the first time I heard that song, how much energy do we spend in our day trying to reinvent history? Oh, yeah. I heard someone say months ago that we nurse, curse, and rehearse our problems. We just sit there and toil and toil and toil. And in these rumination studies, they find that when we ruminate, it causes us to react even more negatively and pessimistically. We go into a deeper hole when we ruminate. In these problem-solving in these problem-solving research studies, they try to have people solve a problem and ruminate about something at the same time. You can't do it. In any negative situation, we are trying to find a solution out of it. So if the, if the problem is here and the solution is here, what are we doing in the space in between that helps us move to solution faster or do we make it more messy? Here's... So have you thought about a converseness? And I love this. I love three, three of anything. I love it. Nurse, curse, and rehearse, you said. Yeah. Is there something that we can replace these? Is there, are there three positive things? Have you, have you thought about or seen in your research, research uh, maybe nurse praise and rehearse that? Maybe it's not changing all three. Maybe it's nurse. It, you know, see what was causing a conflict or some challenge. And yeah. then if praise is not, what is a positive word we can use instead of cursing and then rehearsing that? Okay. Yeah. I, I think I know where you're headed. You're talking about what positive action can we take yes. in replace of nursing, cursing, rehearsing? Yes. How can we move forward? Yes. Yeah. So it's almost like nurse, What's next, right? So we're really coming down to something I've heard you say is, so what, now what? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the strategy is, how do you stop the spin? Yeah. How do you get out of your own way? Because you will never ruminate yourself into recovery. You will never tell yourself mm -hmm. that story enough times to make yourself feel better. You're just re-victimizing yourself, re-experiencing the tragedy. Now, I think that there's a healthy dose of, of reality check where you look back and go, okay, all right. What was the problem? What did I do? Now, how do I move forward? Mm -hmm. How do I move forward? Mm -hmm. So a few strategies that work is you're trying to create a mental distraction. So for me, since I'm in the training speaking business, I create a lot of PowerPoints. So I'll say, next slide, Buck Davis. I have some catchphrases. Next slide, Buck Davis. I was coaching someone who lived in Colorado and she would say, change the channel, Jen, change the channel in your head, or you can just say, stop it. And then I, I typically ask audiences, how many of you know when you're ruminating, hands go up all over the place. What are y'all doing? People saying, I'm standing up and I'm moving. I'm exercising. Mm -hmm. I'm going for a walk. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to music. Mm -hmm. I'm phoning a friend. Mm -hmm. You can do anything that snaps you out of that story. As long as you're distracting yourself, you're snapping yourself out of the story. Mm -hmm. You following mm -hmm. me? I am. And here's what I'm loving about that. What I have learned, you know, as trainers uh, and, it, you know, going through psychology, here's what I was uh, taught. Start, stop and continue. What are you going to start, stop and continue? I don't even go with stop anymore. I just go with continue and start. And here's why. 
Because if I just stop, what am I replacing that with? I mean, this is how yeah. New Year's resolutions, for instance, mm-hmm. people are focusing on, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to stop doing that. And then four hours later, they are engaged in doing that thing again because mm-hmm. they haven't positively replaced it with anything. Mm-hmm. I have to not only stop that video, but I have to start another one. Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. Okay, all right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Let me add on to what happens with once you stop it. Very important part of the process that I haven't heard many people talk about until I did this research. So you stop the spin. Then you have to remind yourself that you're not the only person that's going through this that's been through this or that will ever go through this. When you do that, you activate your own sense of shared humanity. If you think about one of the lowest parts parts of your life, chances are you did not have a lot of control over what was happening and you felt like you were the only one on the planet going through it. Mm-hmm. That's a very lonely place to be. Mm-hmm. If we can be on our own side, And we can show up and say, you know what? You're not the only one who is in this pandemic. You're not the only one who's in a house with a bunch of screaming kids. You're not the only one who's gotten fired from a client. Then we begin to advocate for ourselves and it, and it helps us accept that what's happening in front of us. See, if you can get to acceptance, chances are you can come up with a few solutions. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is the ability to be fully present Mm -hmm. in any moment without judging it, without resisting it, just saying, you know what? That sucks. That was hard. I am embarrassed. Mm -hmm. You stop the spin Mm -hmm. and then you go, I'm not the only one who's ever done that. Mm -hmm. And then that leads to clarity. And that leads to you coming up with options and that helps build resilience. You following that? That's delicious. You want to talk about the second thing that came up? Self-compassion? Yes. Oh my gosh. I usually open telling a story about how I was, how I was standing with a friend who picked up a voicemail from his father. And when he played the voicemail, his father was screaming. I'm going to give you the G version of it. You are so stupid. How could you let this happen? You deserve everything you get today. And then the recording ended. Later, my friend was somewhat relieved to find out that the voicemail actually wasn't for him. His father had accidentally butt dialed him. And that was a recording of how he was speaking to himself as he was trying to get out the door for work. He was late. We had a audio recording of his inner thoughts. And they were vile. They were vile. And I typically ask audiences, if we had a recording of how you spoke to yourself, would you be proud? Would you be proud? Now, this was the most odd theme to write about because I mostly speak to corporations. And when you are talking about self-compassion, underneath that, you're talking about how you feel about yourself. Underneath that, you're talking about self-love. Talking about self-love at work feels weird. Mm-hmm. So I tell people, use the word. I won't talk a lot about self-love. I'll say, how many of you love yourself? Hands will slowly go up, glow, real slow. And I'll say, how many of you have somebody in your life that you love? Hands go up real fast. Mm-hmm. And I say, I want your hand to go up for you as fast as it does for somebody else that you love. So I tell people, use 
self-coaching, inner self-dialogue, manage your inner critic, whatever words work for you, yes. that's what you need to, to use when we're talking about being kind to yourself. So, so here's what I love. I love that it is self-compassion. I, I know and I've learned that you need people around you. You, it, it, it is so much better for you if you can connect with people who honor and respect and have compassion, who buoy you up. Yes. But suppose you can't reach them. Right. You know, those of us who are blessed, some people don't have people like that in their lives. Oh, right, right. But for those of us who do, they're not always available to you. That's right. And then there you are out there on that island not as big an island, maybe, mm-hmm. as people who don't have anybody in their life like that at all. Mm-hmm. But who you have is you. Absolutely. The, the yes. only one you have all the time is you. And you best be on your own side. You best be on your side. Typically, I will, I will open this keynote with, I'm going to begin with how we say goodbye, which is, Take care of yourself. It's a commonly used departure phrase in this country. I hear it all the time as people are leaving one another. They'll say, take care of yourself. And I think it is a a wonderful sentiment that just drifts past people's ears without any absorption. If you think about it, it's a wonderful offering. My offering for you is that you will take care of yourself. My hope for you is that you will take care of yourself. And so I say that I want to offer you four ways. This is a friendly reminder of four ways of how you can take care of yourself because there is nobody more important to you than you, not your kids. Breathe. People pull back in their chair when I say that. Not even your kids, not your significant other, not the most beloved friend. Nobody is more important to you than you. And why do you say that? For the people, let me just be devil's advocate. Oh, fuck. My children are the most important to me. Ah, Buck, my lover is ah, my mama. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> is yeah. Say to those people who say, <laughs> what do you say? I say, if you're, you got all those people in your life that you love and you need energy to take care of them. If you are not holding yourself up, if you are not on your own side, if you are not supporting your own well-being, how can you offer well-being to them? How can you take care of them if you're not even taking care of your own self? Get this, Glow. <clears throat> In research studies of soldiers who came back from war, they found that the soldiers who had had self-compassion for themselves during times of war came back with lower rates of PTSD. Wow. I get it. I get it. So you got somebody shooting at you from over there. You don't need somebody shooting at you from in here. Ooh. I've heard people call it life gives you a one-two punch. Life punches you once, and then you come back and punch yourself again. No, no. Mm-hmm. Life's going to offer us enough battles. We don't need to be creating another battle in our head. Oh, that is so scrumptious right there. You know, I remember I was doing some coaching. and I know you do a lot of coaching. I was doing some coaching with someone who had been uh, violated sexually. 
they were uh, just 13 years old. And now this, they had not said anything. They had had a PTSD experience. They mm-hmm. had buried it. They had buried it. Mm-hmm. Now, 21, and it came out. Something mm-hmm. happened release that yes uh, the person started going to therapy but had to get to that place during the process that they were going to a psychologist which i am not they were going to a clinical psychologist one of the things that i said to them while they were working in tandem with that person was how many times did this man violate you and i knew i knew the answer was one mm-hmm. and i said to this young man I said, and how many times have you violated yourself about his violation? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Re-traumatized, re-victimized Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. It doesn't say that the initial cause was not horrible. And this is part of self-compassion also. And, and part of having a positive, active relationship with yourself is you're looking at this ugly stuff mm-hmm. happened. You don't put flowers on it, honey. You're right. That, that is, that sucks. Yeah. Okay. And how can I not even magnify that? So it, right. It, exactly. Which is part of rumination. When you go back in and you expand it. Yeah. We have the skill to be kind to ourselves. We use it all the time with our friends. So I'll ask people, how would you speak to a friend if they were going through a rough time? If they had made a mistake at work, how would you respond to them? People can come up with quick, short, positive, bulleted phrases, really easy. Resilient people offer that same type of support to themselves. So self-compassion, defined by a researcher named Dr. Kristen Neff, is a way of relating to yourself with kindness in good times and bad. It's just not when you mess up. It's just moving through the day, being kind to yourself. Hey, I get up in the morning glow. I'm like, let's do it, buckaroo. Come on. (laughs) I, I have a tiny little bathroom and I have a small little metal trash can that's in the corner. And if I'm going to discard like a, a toothpaste cap or something, if I hit it against the wall in the right space, it'll bounce into the trash can. It'll go ding. And I'll go winner. <laughs> I love it. I love we it. I love have it. to move through the world being kind to ourselves. Yeah, we have to. And I'm telling you, glow. I talk to all types of audiences. I did this for 20 retina surgeons a few months ago. Mm. And I'm like, I wonder how they're going to react to this retina surgeons. Some of the most specialized surgeons in the country. Yeah. And I'll say, how many of you are hard on yourselves? Bam. How many of you call yourself names? Hands are going up. It's okay to strive for excellence, but you cannot call yourself names. The world's going to call you enough names. We don't need to be aiming that megaphone at ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love your picture that I have in my mind of if and when I'm at war many times and at, in the uh, active arena of war, not just in military, people, the enemy will be shooting Harmful devices, if it's a bullet or whatever, at me. I don't have to be. Absolutely. Same things at myself. 
I love that. That's you don't need to be building an army. Ooh. We do not need to be building an army up against ourselves. Ooh, 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 so it's ooh. really important that we practice catching and crushing those negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. When people say, all right, so how do I do this? How do I do this? I'm like, well, you, you police your thoughts. And when you say, oh, I've forgotten my password. I'm so stupid. Gosh. Or if you forget the simplest word you and you start saying things like, I'm losing my mind. I'm so ridiculous. You have to police and stop those. Stop that. Mm-hmm. And just build the skill of moving through your day going, all right, let's do it. Being kind to yourself, being kind to yourself. And then when you do mess up, ask yourself, how would I speak to a friend going through this? This You'll totally buy this. Kristen Neff has found in her research studies that when people have self-compassion, it calms the amygdala response. It soothes that fight or flight, that emotional hijacking. Here's the other thing. Having self-compassion is productive. When people are beating themselves up, they're not moving on to the next thing. They're procrastinating. They've also found that people procrastinate. I mess it up. I need to get something else, but I'm here going, I'm so stupid. I'm ridiculous. I can't believe I said that. It is a productive thing to do to be kind to yourself. I love it. I love it. In the few minutes that we have left. Are Are we over already? Are we running out of time already? Okay. This is just, (laughs) give me, if, if you only had two things to leave with people about resilience, what would those two things be? One. There is a lot of life that can be managed in our mind and know that we are drawn to the negative. We have a negativity bias built into our brain. We're drawn to the negative stuff. So when you find yourself ruminating over something negative and just compounding those issues, put the brakes on that process. Mm-hmm. Put the brakes on that natural dynamic. So I would say find a way to interrupt your rumination and mm-hmm. quit re-traumatizing yourself. That's the first thing. And then if I were offering out of the four themes, the, th- the third theme was around social support and relationships, build friendships. The number one thing, I'll use the word thing, that helps people bounce back from adversity is their relationships. It is absolutely their social support. We need people more than we need anything else in this life. You don't have to have 5,000 Facebook friends, but you got to have a couple of good ones. It's your number one indicator of bouncing back through adversity and having a life of satisfaction. This is the last study that I'll bring up. Harvard has been doing a longitudinal study for over 70 years. It's called the Harvard Grant Study. And they have studied these folks Every, I think, three years for 70 years, they have a data point on their success, their money, their marriages, their divorces, their addictions, who recovered. And what they found is that the number one indicator of a life of satisfaction is your relationships. So we, if you're traumatized, you're victimized, we have a tendency to go in and be silent and retreat. That's fine. That's fine. Go in, go deep, grieve be alone but you have to come back out yeah. you have to come back out yeah buck how can people find out more about you 
<laughs> they can ask you <laughs> or they can go to buckdavis.com. They can find me on Instagram at Buck Davis. Talk to Buck Davis on Twitter. If you Google me, you'll find me. But probably the best way is to go to Instagram, Buck Davis or buckdavis.com and you'll find out what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. You know what? You know, I love you. <laughs> I know you do. I feel it. I respect you so much. And listen, I need to tell y'all something. That Instagram thing, this man has some of the cutest little... Ins- now, I'm resisting Instagram. I really am. But this <laughs> man has... A- yes, I know, Buck. I'm going to But here's the deal. He has some of the cutest, first of all, they cute little scenarios and pictures or postcards or whatever. Yeah. Then, first, first, they're, first they're cute. And then there's wisdom. Oh, thank you. And it's short. It's just a little quip. It's not going to take you five years. Yeah, right, right. Quit it and quit it. It's a wonderful thing. I love you. I thank you for being on this podcast with me. Let me know when I can do something to make your day, okay? Absolutely. Be well. Thank you for having me, folks. I appreciate you. Thanks to your support group. I appreciate them. And you take care of yourself, Glow. Alan, I will. And I want you to remember what? There's a hug in your future. What? I'll take it. If you want one. <laughs> you got it. You got it. All right, baby. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. That was good, wasn't it? Resilience. Isn't that just think about that word? Doesn't it just roll off your tongue in a wonderful way? So, I mean, just you need to get your arms around the concept of it. Here's what it is. The ability to bounce back after a setback. If you're living, you're going to have setbacks. I think, uh, and I am not a Bible scholar, but there's something in the Bible that talks about a person is just of a few days old before they're filled with some kind of problems. So you're this part of living. It's also part of growing. Resilience says, you know what? I am not overcome by this thing that came over me. It is your ability to push through challenges and cope with adversity so that you are managing it and it's not managing you. Remember these four things that Buck talked about. Mindfulness, being fully present in the right now. Self-compassion. Managing your inner critic, mm-hmm. that thing that's always has, I, I say it's the disease of yebatitis because it's always, well, this is good. And then there's a voice that says, yeah, but, and starts to sink away and detract and distract from all the goodness. Tell that voice it needs to go and jump on somebody else's dream because that's not you. The third thing is relationships. Form, surround yourself with a support system that you can call upon, people you can lean on that you trust. And then prioritizing positivity. Do not allow yourself to put that on the back burner. Positivity has to be there with you step by step, baby. Otherwise, you'll be eaten up by the negativity. That is so scrumptious. I mean, that's a meal right there. That is appetizer, entree, and dessert. Hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. 